This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Garrett Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift. Find your fun with the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Close That's a bit of Welsh for you. Happy New Year, Tom. And a big Happy New Year to all our GTCC members. Did you have a good Christmas, mate? I had a very good Christmas, thank you, Jay. Happy New Year to you as well. But yours was uh, slightly interrupted by all accounts. You sent me a picture, which is the loneliest image I've ever seen of a Christmas. It was a cup of tea left on the landing carpet. You were clearly in one room and everyone else in the house was clearly in other rooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luckily, I got a good Christmas day in, but then, yeah, I've got a bit of isolating after that but um i had a very short christmas to be honest i came back late from training camp you know i wanted to get all my work done before and then i could really enjoy christmas but yeah ended up in isolation for a while all good now all good kept myself busy though did a mass uh clear out of the house when sarah and max weren't around i was you know busy just throwing stuff out basically very satisfying throwing stuff away in it oh yeah had a good few fires as well got one of those bins you know you can just burn stuff in i like a hobo in new york (laughs) yeah i was just burning stuff for three days but so that was great actually no i wasn't that long the environment and all that but no i was um built a load of lego although the slowest part of that was just finding the tiny pieces because i had this massive pile so annoying in it anyway i was in isolation so it didn't really you know it was ideal it filled the time exactly yeah yeah (laughs) and then well i just showed you a picture didn't i of the train tracks that i did for Max. Yeah, it's so. very impressive. So what's that? Is it Brio that it's called? Yeah, there's Brio, also Big Jigs, I think, is another setup that, that works with it. Basically, wooden train tracks that you can configure into any number of things. And you did a quite a spectacular little layout. It almost makes me think there's a, a modelled rail enthusiast hiding deep within you. <laughs> it was satisfying, actually, once I did build it and then had the train going round because I got a little you know a little motor in it and it's just going around on its own dragging its carriages behind it yeah did you plan it all out beforehand did you just go freestyle and see where it took you no no I just went freestyle but then obviously I didn't glue it down freestyle Sensible. so I got my dad actually went and got the wood for me because I was obviously in isolation uh, got the felt from Amazon so I got a nice green felt mm. a bit of blue then for the bridge you know a bit of water over the bridge then just set it all out and then started gluing it down once I decided on my plan and um very happy with it actually I don't want to give it to Max I want to keep it I'd hang on to that to be honest yeah <laughs> I mean that's a hugely successful Christmas in my book um what was the single best thing that you ate or drank oh to be honest once I went into isolation I I tried to be quite good because I was like the team doctors told me not to exercise so I was like I'm gonna have at least seven, maybe ten days in isolation now, doing nothing. If I just go for this, I could easily leave isolation. Um, a few kilos overweight and going a lot worse. So um, I managed to keep a lid on it. You? Yeah, well, you know how over Christmas you often end up drinking beverages that at no other point in the year would you consider. <laughs> so I had so my mum and dad had got a massive great trunk with loads of booze in them which has literally been in there for about 30 years a lot of it so sometimes you just play lucky dip and you might come out with a limoncello and surprise yourself you might come out with some sort of weird holiday spirit but I was introduced to a new concept in drinking G see what you make of this 
the idea is that you have a pint glass and you put two thirds beer. You can have ale or lager, and then yeah. the other third you put ginger wine in. Ginger wine. Ginger wine. Right. So I, I know this sounds weird, but go with it. Have you ever had ginger beer? Yes. Do you enjoy ginger beer? Yeah. This is basically Lovely. alcoholic ginger beer. Because you've got the beer and then you've got the ginger wine. But the problem is, if you just call it ginger beer, no one's interested. If you rebrand it, take the ginger bit and rebrand it as fire beer, you would not believe how many people want a pint of fire beer. <laughs> I've, but I have honestly never seen anyone turn down. You go, do you want a pint of fire beer? They're like, yes. Yes, I do. It's not the ginger that would put me off. It's the wine bit. Or you put wine with beer. I know what you're saying, but we're talking like a Stones ginger wine. Do you know what I mean? Like you might make a whiskey mac out of. So don't think of it as like a Rioja or a, you know, it's just... <laughs> That's it's what just I'm picturing. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'll do us a couple of fire beers. Next time you and me get together, I'll do us a couple of fire beers. Honestly, once you fire beard, you just never look back. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to that. <laughs> um, now, because you were laid up, uh, G, with the COVIDs, it fell to me to take part in the first race of the season for GTCC and um, it happened to be a cyclocross race in the glamorous surroundings of Macclesfield where you get changed in a car park of a school um, the <laughs> lovely thing was it was the first time I've raced in an official GTCC jersey which before I'd been low to do because it's such a nice jersey you don't want to get it covered in mud then I thought come on let's do it and I reckon it was worth the honour of wearing the GTCC jersey must have been worth 10 watts <laughs> minimum were you alone in the race was it or was there another at one at points i was at points i was yeah <laughs> <laughs> any other gtcc jerseys or were you the sole uh representative? yeah i didn't see any, i didn't see any other gtcc jerseys i mean they may well have been at the front of the race which wasn't where i was um <laughs> but yeah it felt it felt good to wear it in action nice how about christmas day did you how did your exercise go on christmas day did a little cheeky run little cheeky run just to legitimize the mountain of food that would be consumed afterwards how far is a cheeky run then cheeky run is i did a hill, a hill session so let's say two miles to the hill oh, up the hill eight times run home gin and tonic on arrival well that's serious that is yeah that surprised me so you do efforts then <laughs> i do do efforts but my efforts compared to your efforts are not really efforts well uh... are you worried about this 5k race we're gonna have yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I'm still on for that. I think you're just a bit worried. <laughs> Are we not going to have some sort of um, handicap scenario? A, for the the years younger you are than me, and B, the fact that you are an elite athlete and I am not. Yeah, fine, whatever you want. Oh, okay, big chat. Yeah. <laughs> fire, two fire beers for the winner. <laughs> two fire beers for you before we start, I think. <laughs> right, should we get a guest on? Let's do it. Hello, I'm Katie Puckrick. Haven't I seen you on Wikipedia? Because I'm there every day. I've got a new podcast called Dot Com, the documentary series about the people of the Internet. And it starts with that one site we all use, Wikipedia. Yeah, sure, it's just a little website. Who are these people? But no, it's not. The faces behind the screen, the brains behind the words. If you'd said to me, it will all be free. This is a hidden world, and it's 
fascinating. A place where people can come together and talk about the things that are important to them. We've just found a way in the wiki universe to do that. I mean, how could Wikipedia not be corrupt at this point? Search for .com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe now. How? Tom, good news. The sponsors are back for season two. That is momentous, G. And momentous just so happens to be the sponsors of this next bit. But who are they? <laughs> well, for all you listeners that were listening last season, you'll remember them as Amp Human. Aha, yeah, a leading human performance company that works with over 150 pro and elite sporting teams. And once again, we've got an exclusive discount for you. Gee, what's the lowdown? Well, I use uh, PR lotion all the time. You basically rub it directly in your muscles, you get bicarb directly into them and, you know, allows me to maximise training sessions and improves recovery time. Yeah, if you try it, the clinical data says you'll get 53% less muscle soreness and be able to do 25% more training intervals. I like those odds, G. So if you fancy slapping it all over your legs before your next big ride or workout, go to livemomentous.com. So that first bit, all one word, L-I-V-E, then M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S. And because you listen to this podcast, we've got you an exclusive discount. Just use the code GTCC2021 at the checkout for 25% off Momentus's PR Lotion. Happy training! Today's guest is an epic track cyclist, i got to say. Won three Olympic medals, winning gold in Team Pursuit in Rio 2016. Gold in the Madison this time round in Tokyo 2020, along with silver in the Team Pursuit. Uh, it's also been a few other additions to the medal hall this year in 2021. She's won three titles, European Track Champs, four medals at the World Champs, including becoming Omnium Champion. And she was crowned Female Rider of the Year for 2021 by Cycling Weekly. So I'm... Um, there's a lot more wins I could mention as well, but I think we'd be here for half the pod. So welcome to the GTCC, Katie Archibald. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, uh, yeah, you know, I'm usually more of a uh, listener than a speaker on podcasts. I didn't know that guests would be just listening to their own intro like that. <laughs> that was nicely uncomfortable, but thank you. <laughs> Did I um, miss anything big out or were they, were they your main hits? Yeah, I wouldn't want to be uh, undersold. Um no, no, that was it. It was a completely, <laughs> an almost empty January to August, and then a massive acceleration through uh, everything I could enter from there. You're the second Scott we've had on the pod as well. Oh yeah, who was number one? Behind Sir Chris Hoy, so. Oh, that's fine. I'd accept <laughs> that. That's okay. So Katie, tell us, uh, for people who don't know you, don't know your backstory, you have a slightly unusual route into cycling in that you weren't a cycling obsessed 10-year-old or 15-year-old. You were a really good swimmer. I'm not sure if it is the unusual route. It's certainly the quieter route. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't make <laughs> us such good documentary footage because, yeah, there's no videos of me competing age twelve. No, I, I cycled all my life, but it was our it was our family weekend weekend affair, and what I was competitive in was swimming. So, yeah, I didn't do my first race until I was uh, sixteen, and then I didn't really get into heavily into cycling until I was eighteen, and it all really it just accelerated from there a really steep uh yeah um a steep curve into the top level so how did you get into it then was that up in scotland or yeah so i had a a friend that said this is silly you keep coming out riding it was it wasn't it was a family friend so i 
Was with the um, main cycling demographic of middle-aged men in Lycra. I used to just ride all the time with my dad and my dad's friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then one said, this is, you know, this is, this is daft. You might actually be good at this. Um, and the, the, I guess the only cycling racing we knew was at the Highland Games. And um, my, my dad was a runner. So he knew that there was bike racing at the Highland Games and, um, they were handicapped events. So I, I, turn up to my first race, uh, get looked up and down as a, a slightly chubby 16-year-old girl, get a massive handicap and, and win the thing. Um, so huh. it was, a, yeah, a very quick way to get a taste for what it's like to win. And it was a nice memory to hold on to because it took many, many years before I was uh, back doing that without a handicap. Oh, that's nice. I didn't realise uh, Highland Games, I thought that was all like chucking massive logs and stuff and throwing the ca- that the caber. real big weight over the, you know... The- oh, yeah. Like the high jump, but thrown a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it is all these things. Plus, it's quite actually international because you get um, strong men that will come for yeah, toss the caber and uh, swing the heavy thing over the stick. Um, that I think you got the name right with that. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and all the Highland dancing, the bagpipes, just our early memories of cycling are all just the drone of people warming up their bagpipes. <laughs> uh, it's uh, still a comfort. Is that every year, Highland Games? Is there a lot of drinking and stuff as well? Is it like an annual thing or is it... Yeah, no, you get um, Highland Games, uh, G-A-M-E-S, apostrophe, the Highland Games is, so there's there's loads. So, like, my hometown's got its own games, but it doesn't have cycling in it, which is upsetting. But, yeah, they're, they're all over Scotland every weekend through the summer, so. Oh, nice. You can, uh, yeah, you can you can make a tidy sum in prize money if your mum will drive you to <laughs> everywhere within a 100-mile radius through um, July, August, and, and a little bit into September. Tom, we should get up there. I was thinking exactly that. Get the GTCC up there. When you've got a quiet summer one year, we're going to do every single Highland Games. It's the ideal upper body strength for you in your sort of post, post pro cycling world. Yeah, I'm not too sure I'll be good at the whole log toss, but yeah. You get massive guns on you. Actually, yeah, I am going to get big. I'm going to get. Sorry, what was I saying? Yeah, I am. Yeah, even bigger <laughs> guns, Tom. Katie, do you think that. Um, Slightly later start as a competitive cyclist. You think that helped you in some ways? I know there's, there's meant to be this smooth progression, particularly now we've got academies and everything else that you're meant to be identified early. But do you think it's helped you in some ways? It certainly helped me find cycling because if I'd specialised earlier, or I'm, I might have specialised into something I wasn't as good at, I think so. Or rather, I guess I should have phrased that as helped me become an Olympic champion because I, I was given the time to find the thing I'm exceptional at. I think that's maybe a problem that you, uh, yeah, you, you put all your eggs into swimming or hockey or gymnastics or trampolining or any of the dozen other sports that I did try, kayaking, rock climbing. Um, what else did I give a go? Uh, freestyle dance, ballet. I've like, I've, I've literally done them all and never actually with the dream of becoming Olympic champion, just with, uh, with the dream of passing the day, I suppose. <laughs> so I think there's an advantage there. It's, it's not that I've necessarily, uh, transferred the skills that I, I learned throughout a, a wide mix of a sporting childhood but um it certainly has uh yeah given me given me time to be brilliant i would say i was gonna i was gonna ask about i jumping straight to the madison because um <clears throat> excuse me watching you and uh and laura just absolutely dominate and smash the field at, at tokyo 2020 the madison there that was just insane what was that like to to do what while you were in that race, you know, when you start winning the first one, two, three, four sprints, like it must have just been like you were just floating around, no chain, as they say. 
<laughs> yeah, no, Jane. Um, yeah, no, the uh, the race at the games. Well, it's never really gone like that for us before. Um, we've had um, we've had a a lot of hiccups, I guess, in our progress towards that race. Um, me and Laura, and I think the the wider squad, and it must be the same for every team that gets on that start line of of having your head around the idea of a perfect plan and a perfect way to execute it. Um, and there's just one day where you actually get the chance to follow through. And uh, for us, that, that was that one day. Yeah, because am I right in thinking it was after the Team Pursuit? Yeah, so it, it worked really. It was something I was really happy about. The programme ran Team Pursuit and then Madison and then Omnium in that order. And that was our stated team priority is that, you know, we, we build the team around the Team Pursuit squad and that's your primary objective. And if you can, if you are in that Team Pursuit team then you are eligible to to be a Madison competitor and you can build and develop that team as well and then if you are part of that Madison pairing then we can consider you for the Omnium and that that was kind of the way that it went and obviously all Olympic medals are um, very very special but you you do have to do a bit of um, triage in a sense of where you're going to where you're going to put most of your resources and, and your attention um, and that that was the the running order for us. So how was it how was it going into that race because obviously team pursuit was well, I know what it's like in the GB team. Half the time, they're handing you the gold medal before you even turn up. You know, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of expectation and just expected to win gold in team pursuit. And when that didn't necessarily go to plan, did you feel more pressure in that Madison going into it? Or was it more just like, ah, oh, you know, whatever. It, it is what it is. We're just going to go out there and just, just do what we do. What we do. <laughs> I missed the first part and it just cut into uh, sometimes they've handed you the gold medal before you've gotten the start line, um, which is a nice, <laughs> <laughs> what a way to live. Um, but the contrast between between the two, um, you know, I've ended up reflecting on it, the silver medal in terms of the contrast to the 2015 World Championships, which was um, the first silver medal at the end of an incredible winning streak for the women's team pursuit team from 2015 I think it was I, I, I'll need to check in with Joanna she, Joanna Russell's official uh, bookkeeper records keeper for, <laughs> for the team um, <laughs> still remembers all of our uh, rolling 5k PBs and so on it's a, a curse <laughs> and um, yeah so I joined this incredibly successful team in 2014 and by 2015 I'm part of the the end really it's, it's a silver it's a silver world championship medal it's still fantastic but it's the end of this winning streak um, and so Really, it just ripped my stomach out, my throat. It was it was the most intense. It was far more intense than any of the the victories that I'd felt because I think there had been kind of what you're alluding to that sense in British cycling of this is um, this is how we execute. This is what we know how to do. We've we've put a package around you that means you should be able to go onto the world stage and dominate it because you are so well supported. Um, and so to then not follow through on that. And like I say, to be part of what it felt to me at the time was its downfall, um, was intense. Um, but the way that I felt with the the silver medal at at the the games just passed was completely different. You know, it, it really felt like this was something that, um, that I had contributed to excellence. It wasn't, um, it wasn't a loss in the same way that that loss had been back in, in 2015. It was um, everything that we could have put together to, to create the best result. I think, I think we did. 
maybe we didn't have um, just quite the best legs. Uh, I'm sure there could have been ways that we would have adjusted our our running and, and training and our talent search and, and so on. But I think everything that we turned up with on that day, we really put it put it all there. So yeah, I didn't I didn't feel my um, heart crumbling quite as intensely. Uh, I could um, ultimately feel content with it. That's a good way of looking at it. Whereas you won a you won a silver medal, you didn't lose the gold, and I think um, you know it, because it's been so successful, it is expected to just go out there and get a gold, and everybody wants to win. But I think that attitude of just you've done all, you know, is ups and downs, isn't it? But preparation is hundred percent. You know, you, you have some knocks along the way, but it's just all about giving everything you can all the way up to you know that start line, and then in the race, and that's that's it, isn't it? And that's all you can do. You know what? I think I would also be insulted if um, a team that I beat turned around and said like, oh, well, didn't we mess up? And I go, no, we just beat you. <laughs> you know, did it ever occur to you that yeah. maybe we're just better? So sometimes the other team's just better. And kudos to them. That relationship you've got with Laura, Katie, like, clearly you have a professional relationship, but you've your friends away from the track as well. She's your landlady or has been your landlady at times. Do you think you need that personal relationship with something like the Madison? Do you need the personal relationship to underpin the professional to make you hit the absolute peaks? I don't think you need the personal relationship, but somebody's personality does make a big difference. I would say I've built a personal relationship with almost every single one of my teammates. So certainly the, the closest ones that you go to an Olympic Games with or in that, you know, that, that pointy end of an Olympic cycle. Um but we fall out as well, you know, <laughs> like we have um, an intensely personal relationship has both the good sides and the and the bad sides. Um, and I think the, the strength of mine and Laura's partnership isn't the fact that it's her and I together. It's the fact that that she is a professional, that, that she is um, incredibly uh, intelligent and, and intuitive with her racing and that she could she could make a good partnership with with me or um with whoever you know in the same way that that I can make a good partnership and, and I think we both have good inv- individual strengths that make us good people to work with but I don't think it's reliant on the fact that well because we're not similar you know uh, like I don't watch the EastEnders Omnibus with Laura and she doesn't watch Rick and Morty with me you know we don't <laughs> <laughs> we don't really like we talk about sports politics but we don't talk about politics there's nothing what holds us together is a is a passion for the sport and and this shared experience it's not that we are you know occasionally at a wedding when you're you're making these temporary friendships and you might meet someone and you go oh goodness you're you're one of my people what are you doing here how did how did one of my people get here um and it's not it's not like that. It's uh, it's it's a, a shared experience that's bonded us quite tightly. What's this phrase you've got? Um, it's not about the bins. <laughs> yeah, it was our uh, our team psychologist that that made it popular because we <laughs> we're all telling these stories of when somebody snaps. Uh, well, I, yeah, I don't I don't need to tell the the, the one that I shared with him, but when somebody starts laying into you for slowing up the team pursuit line you know like I've had it in the changing rooms before when one of my my teammates goes to me you know like you've come in going so badly it's almost dangerous I'm just going to fly right into the back of you what are you are you going to bed on time are you not you're not eating like what is it you're doing because this is this is bad for the team um and it was nothing to do with that it was about like we'd had a fight three days before about some film and and her boyfriend and it was like so it's this thing that um when somebody's 
getting at you for whatever small infringement the normal values you've made that day it's it's very rarely about that it's it's not actually about the fact you forgot to take the bins out that they're not screaming at you because it was recycling day and you forgot they're screaming at you because of something far more fundamental and you need to you need to figure out what that fundamental thing is because if you keep focusing on the bins the relationship is never going to repair itself it is annoying when you forget to take the bins out though oh really especially down in cardiff because i only take the gray bin every bloody three weeks these days bloody overflowing do you know which one, which week is which bin, G? I've always got to get on the Cardiff Gov website, yeah. I, I trust Ron across the road because he's 85 and he's bang on it. <laughs> so basically Ron's rule is <laughs> always right. I saw this on, um, somebody sent me uh, a term, the word binfluencer, which is the, the person on your street that influences everybody oh, else's bin nice. decisions. <laughs> yeah. Ron is the binfluencer. <laughs> do you ever do that thing when you walk up the street looking in everyone's bin to see if theirs is full? And then if it isn't, you can put one of your extra black bags in theirs. Does, does everyone do that? Muriel next door is an absolute dream for that because she lives by herself. So, you know, she's by herself. We've got a house full of four. Muriel's bin is always getting filled. <laughs> Nobody else confesses to that yeah. on a podcast, no. <laughs> I start watching my bins. Everyone does it for sure. But Tom, when you go on about that relationship as well, I think it definitely, um, I agree with what Katie said, but for sure, if you have got that, some sort of relationship, it definitely helps. For instance, when I did the World Madison Champs with Swifty, but yeah, back in like 2012, you probably weren't even cycling by then, Katie, or just starting. But yeah, it was like, it was in Melbourne and we rode the Madison together. And yeah, it's, it's obviously you want to win for yourself, but then when you're with one of your best mates or someone you're close to or get on with really well, it's, um, you can actually, you're doing it for them as well almost. And uh, yeah, I think that definitely helps. But at the same time, there's been people in Team Pursuit that I've been a part of where you're not all mates but as Katie says you do end up knowing each other really well because you basically live with each other for the three years before you know so it is tough juggling act at times I would say it's almost um it's more important that you don't have an an enemy rather than that you do have a best friend because if you're in a situation where somebody's trying to prove that they're the stronger pair or especially especially in a team pursuit team I've heard horrible stories about people like basically deliberately ganging up on someone to make sure that they don't get selected you know like kicking through it the right, the opportune moment or, or just staying on a front longer than you should do because you want to show what you can do rather than make the team go fastest. It's super dangerous in team pursuit if you're not, um, yeah, if you're not all for the team, as it were. Uh, that's probably one of the trickiest parts of preparing for an Olympics when you're quite a long way away is that you have nine people that needs to funnel down to four and, and you're trying to tell all nine people that they should help each other and that they should be, um, you know, that anything that makes me faster makes you faster. And you can believe that when you're in my situation where, you know, you're kind of a, like a, a stronger, yeah, I, I started the sentence now, I feel embarrassed by what I'm about to say. But when you're, when you're quite comfortable in the strength of your position, when, you, when I know that anything I can do to improve someone else will make the team go faster because there's every likelihood that I'll be in the team. Like I've had people throw the criticism back at me that like, of course, it's easy for you to say because you're not under threat. And I, I do. Th- I have seen it be super tough for for rider, rider seven and rider six. They're not going to get on, are they? Because they're, they're both fighting for a spot that doesn't actually exist. It's intense. 100 percent. And people, it doesn't go unnoticed either. It's not like, um, you know, some if someone is kicking through or, you know, doing a bit extra trying to show themselves or I don't know, just just the way they are around the camp. It, as long as the coach is pretty wise and clued up to it, then it stands out a mile away, you know. And all the other riders can feel it. Everybody knows what's happening. So, 
end of the day, it's only going to backfire on them. But as you say, Katie and Laura and that, they don't really have that issue anyway. It's just trying to get the best, the best squad and the best sort of vibe as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've said all that. Um, at the same time, I didn't get... Uh yeah, I wasn't selected for the Madison at the 2020 Worlds. I wasn't selected for the Madison at the 2020 Euros even, which was October. It was actually quite close to the, well, relative, in relative terms, you know. Like, um, yeah, I, I shouldn't have given the impression that everything's uh, plain sailing and easy breezy for, for myself or, or for Laura. It certainly isn't, but it definitely is a, a different dynamic to when you're a 21-year-old just really trying to scrap to, to just keep your place on the program. I don't, um, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't envy being back in that position. Katie, there's another phrase of yours that I read about this year, which really interested me. The first one is obviously the bin one. The second one is this idea of the authority of ability. Have I got that right? Maybe that's what you've just been talking about. Just tell us a bit more about that. When I joined the British Cycling Programme back in 2013, um, Chris Hoy was just on the on the way out. I th- he hadn't officially retired. I think there was a thought that maybe he would go to 2014. But anyway, he wasn't he wasn't abound, around the building. He wasn't a character that I've had experience of as a teammate. I only know him as uh, a hero, as it were. Um, but I heard a lot of stories, and and these stories about. Chris Hoy being a, a leader in the team and someone that united the, the endurance side and the sprint side and, and could talk to anybody, give advice to anybody and so on and so forth. And so he had, he had left. Uh, and the person to fill that role would be really kind of Jason Kenny type figure. Um, and I, and I think he does for the, for the sprinters. And the thing that just stood out to me when I was younger was that, um, Matthew Crampton, who was another, uh, another rider on the, the sprint program, had the charisma and the the time for people and that that ability to to make bonds across bridges and I just I know that most people in most squads would have felt motivated and comfortable uh, speaking to Matt, right? But he wasn't Britain's most successful Olympian. <laughs> he didn't have the authority of ability. He couldn't um, be the the total figurehead of the team because, um, well, because Jason is, you know. But uh, yeah, this sounds like a, a, it's it's not a critique of of Jason in any way. It's just a, like a it's different personality types, and I've kind of experienced that, I suppose, slightly in in my own career where I've really been trying to to get an opinion across or just make yourself heard uh, in a way that. I now can be um, age 27 with two Olympic gold medals, well, three, three Olympic medals, four world titles. And, and you have this authoritative ability that because of what you can do with a large VO2 max, they're willing to listen to what you can do with a small brain, you know. Um, and <laughs> it's not it's not an unjust system, but it is a, a strange one. <laughs> that, um, you are. Yeah, you, you you just it takes a bit of time until you can have that uh have that podium but i have seen it be the case that somebody who who would be perfect for that role within a team just doesn't have doesn't have the medals to be honest i don't think you've got a small brain by the way like that's one impression like i haven't really well i definitely haven't <laughs> run the track with you but the, the stuff i've seen of you like most cyclists are pretty simple and i think i'm not gonna offend many saying that because they'll acknowledge it but yeah you seem to you definitely seem a lot more academic might be the wrong word but just switched on and just able to express yourself well with with stuff which a lot of athletes just sort of ignore and don't 
want to have an opinion on or even maybe don't. Am I right in, in saying that? I uh, I really enjoy, so like big mentors and role models for me have been Joanna Rousel and Laura Kenny. Uh, they were both, uh, Joanna's a bit older than, than Laura, but they were both elders in a sense when I first got onto the programme. They'd both been to London Olympics. They'd seen things I hadn't. And to be able to contrast their sort of their types as cyclists I always really enjoyed so Joanna's now studying medicine and the intelligence that they have is very very different you know like you need a translator for Laura's whatsapp message she can't spell she's not like doesn't doesn't deal with that shite you know like but but the things that she gets are um proper real world things not that um not that Joanna doesn't but it's it's a very different approach and there's a there's like an instancy to the the way that Laura will engage with problems and will will get things done and uh, a far more composed, rational, um, slightly slower way that that Joanna will, will go about them and I don't know. I found it quite pleasing to, uh, I, yeah, I, I probably would say it's true that I sit closer to the the Joanna side, which makes me envious of of Laura's skill set uh, to be able to probably be more more personable with things and to to have that emotional intelligence that um, I'm maybe sometimes lacking. But um, it takes all sorts, so keep me in the team. I'll, I'll do all right. <laughs> Have you had scenarios like that, Garen, in your in your career with relationships that you've had with teammates? Um, I've not had too many intelligent teammates, to be honest. <laughs> I wouldn't class myself as one either. <laughs> no, it, it, I think just um, there is just very different characters, that's for sure. And... Um, there are a lot of guys which um yeah from from my impression from joanna as as katie said she's yeah she'd be intelligent academically as as much as um other stuff whereas there's not many guys in the pro peloton that would study or you know be able to do that sort of thing but they are clever in other ways with just yeah just just, just racing sort of intelligence and or like you know when it comes to like nutrition and science and physiology and, and and that sort of thing Swifty's an expert with shoulders for instance and knees after all his injuries yeah. and operations but yeah to be honest we're all at, we all seem like similar sort of low level I think <laughs> I think um I think there's an overrepresentation of uh high achievers or certainly that it, it's changing or it should be changing and that there used to be far more people with degrees in the the women's peloton because that was the way that they functioned as as elite level riders that you had there, there's a shockingly large amount of doctors <laughs> and people that are studying on the side and basically trying to secure a way to make a living when you can't make a living in professional cycling and the reason i say it's, it should be changing is because you can now um I, there seems to be a, a real strength and depth of um the the commercial interest in uh, women's road cycling so uh, maybe we'll see fewer fewer geniuses because <laughs> because they don't need to be anymore. They don't need their backup to be quite as strong. I don't actually know who you ride for on the road this year. 2022, I'm riding for Team Saratazit, previously Team Saratazit WNT. I rode for them in 2017 and this is the grand return. Um, so yeah, I've, I've signed for three years to take me through to the Paris Olympics. So it's quite a big, um, quite a big move for me and one I'm quite excited about. Casey, with the road racing this year in 2022, what are the aims? Is it about keeping it fresh in a post-Olympic year? Because a lot of athletes, once they've peaked for Olympics, find the, I don't know, the challenge has changed or the challenge has to change, doesn't it, in the following year? 
My experience from Rio was that the Olympics was this massive springboard into just the best year ever. I've, 2017 felt that was an entire no-chain year for me. And I, I, I'm a bit nervous because I feel like you do need a dip. Or just no, but you can't, you, you can't go up and up forever. Um, but I do want to use the springboard from, from Tokyo. I do want to, uh, take all of the, the energy that I have and the, the enthusiasm, the motivation to, to keep building on everything that we did towards then into, into the next road season. Um, but I also wouldn't mind accelerating some mistakes because it's, it's only three years between games. Um, and if, if, like I say, some of that will have to, to, to go badly because, is the way of the world. Um, I don't know. I don't know when to schedule it. Um, maybe just a, a couple of weeks over Christmas next year. I could. I could handle disaster then. But yeah, I, I'm going to be racing quite a bit. I'll be going through uh, through until like just before the Commonwealth Games, um, and then putting all my focus onto onto track for commies. So yeah, I, I, I'm still enthusiastic about it. Still confident that there's uh, gains to be had. Do you want to take your road career, like have that as your main focus at any stage or would it always be the track for you? You know, it does, um, it does excite me. My big dream though would be to be a professional track cyclist. I think that's what the Track Champions League has maybe created a platform for in the, a, a way that I can exist commercially um, at, what I, at what I love to do, which is race on the track. I like the road. I do like the road, um, but it's just obviously when you're good at something, you, you tend to like it a bit more. Um, so I think I'll see how the, the challenges of, of this year go because I've been I've been away from the road for a few seasons. My last proper full season was 2018, um, and it was just pants. And I'm kind of hoping to to pick myself up into a slightly better place and see that I can can cope with the the demands a bit better. I just I had a, like a shitty time with injuries and saddle sponsors and. Stuff that I, I hope I've sort of matured around how to cope with problems better. It's not that I'm saying there'll be no problems, but I'll I'll be able to re- react to them slightly better now. Um, but ultimately, if if the career that that road riders have could exist uh, as being on the track, I'd be happy, Larry. I'm sure you'd be. Uh, I'm you know your your strengths and attributes on the track though will, will be great on the road I'm sure like it, the main thing is enjoying it though if you're not really that as passionate for it then you know it's it's harder isn't it but if, for sure you've got the capabilities to have a do something special on the road as well Casey should we talk about the Omnium at the Worlds in Roubaix last year because and you might not want to hear this because it seems that you're a very modest person but it was a ridiculously remarkable performance so for people who, who missed this so you won all four events and then in the points race, which is the last of four, you won four of the eight sprints. Like watching it was was watching an athlete at, it seemed to be at their absolute peak. And you seem to have this spell over your opponents halfway through the day where they just thought that you were going to beat them every time. So how did it feel on the inside? I'm always terrified on Omnium Day. I, I feel like the support oh, yeah. you get on Team Pursuit Day when there's four of you, that gets halved for Madison Day. But that's still fine because there's still another person. But then it's just totally slashed for Omnium Day and you're just by yourself trying to eat oats and it's, <laughs> it feels impossible. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really, really uh, get totally consumed by the nerves um, that I take into the scratch race, which is the, the first event. But once that went well, um, 
And it wasn't just winning the scratch race. It was the, the terms of winning the scratch race of assessing where everybody else was. And the, the way it went was Jennifer Valente, who's the um, Omnium Olympic champion, came over the top, uh, kind of as predicted, as is her racing style, two laps to go, just with incredible speed from far away. She doesn't really uh, get in the muscle at the front, um, takes her own, uses her own space over with incredible speed. And just with one lap to go, I just thought, oh, that 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 was when I could calm down because I was like, this is it. This is exactly what I needed. Um, and there was this just massive gap to run into. And when I pushed the button, my legs went, you know, like... <laughs> You, you you can't tell for sure until you're you're on that um in that racing moment to say uh, is the form there like is this as responsive as I as I need it to be you can't really trust the rev out on on the Le Mans Turbo, um so uh yeah like I say I, I said go and my legs went and I thought oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be a fine day yeah what like whew, I don't know what else to say dominated like that was another I said the Madison at the Tokyo 2020 was one of the best races of the year really but I think that Omnium was pretty along with Ethan's Omnium as well they were just like great Ethan Hater, teammate of mine but yeah you both won the Omnium world world title there it was uh you know sometimes it can be a bit in, in British cycling especially like after the Olympics like ah, oh, you know we always have a bit of a a down couple of years or whatever you know it's not as important it's all about winning Olympic gold it's all about the or like in rugby and stuff you know after the world cup oh yeah six nations doesn't matter after the world cup but it does well and world champs is bigger than six nations anyway isn't it but yeah that was impressive to watch yeah ethan was um unbelievable as well he was racing the same day as our, our madison so i wasn't um you know way when you're only you're half tuning in half tuning out sort of consumed with your own stuff and then to yeah so it was only really by his points race that I had fully uh, like fully engaged with the race and thinking he's just ha- he's just playing you know there were moments in that race where I for sure thought he's just trying to prove a point <laughs> which is um, yeah which is uh, something to envy I really like like yeah you you get these these races from time to time where you can um, you can just express yourself in your in your element um, and it looked to be what what Ethan was doing there so yeah it was a nice a nice championship for the whole team. You always look, Katie, like after a race, like you've massively enjoyed it. So it's quite interesting to hear that you get as nervous as as you do. Because, Garrett, there was a generation of track riders that you were sort of towards the end of, but the superstars of, of your era were the ones who went to see Steve Peters, Vicky Pendleton or, or Brad or Chris Hoy. And then the next generation, people like Jason, didn't seem to need that help they just seem to enjoy the racing so Katie it's it's almost a surprise having seen you post-race maybe it's relief that I'm seeing then rather than (laughs) relaxation I know I do love to race and to be honest I I love to plan for the racing I love planning the training around it I I quite often there will be moments of respite when I walk into track centre and you have to pretend for for anyone that's watching you have to to uh, fake it till you make it. Sometimes I'll get a moment of calm in there if I can just um, like I'm 178 centimeters. I'm taller than most of the most of the field, so if I can make myself 179 centimeters whilst I whilst I walk past the other pens, it makes me feel a bit better sometimes. <laughs> um, but I have uh, I've had one meeting with Steve Peters just before he left. He was he was just that's another one. He was just on the way out as I was on the way in. Um, 
And yeah, so I've had the chimp paradox explained. Uh, uh, I had three different problems, so I, <laughs> I was told about my chimp three different times. It maybe it maybe takes more than one meeting. Um, and then I had experiences with the team uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, sorry, that came after that. I think I probably went in a bit went in a bit too far and I found a nice happy medium now working with the the head of psychology for the team at the moment who I don't really go to with problems I, I, we just we do work together to be to be better it's just like another coach another another member of the support team that um yeah has had a a, a really positive impact on on my career I, I believe and and on the, the team more widely as in our, our women's endurance team he's done some some really effective stuff with us yeah, I think that's a really good, important point. It's like, it should be seen as just working. Everyone works physically and it's seen as like, yeah, of course you go and train, but the mental side of things is just as much. And it's just, it's training your brain basically to work how you want it to work on race day. It's not like, oh, you're seeing a sports psychologist. What's what's up with you? What's your problem? Mm. Like, well, nothing really. I'm just sort of like, you know, just working on this and that. But yeah, it's... Uh, I think the... The touching on what's your problem, I think that's a really key part of it. And the model that I'm uh, really confident with now is that I work around projects of uh, something I want to be brilliant in or some, something that you you think could really help the team. Um, and so it's not a case of trying to avoid trying to avoid disaster because um like i say because i say i can't eat my porridge on race day uh, i've not i've not gone to the <laughs> to the the team psych and said oh god you've got to help me with this 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 terrible terrible problem or um i shouldn't have trivialized it like that because there are there are grand problems out there but the the project that we had towards tokyo was was all about leadership and being able to lead the team and being somebody that, that my teammates could approach and somebody that could hold us together as a cohesive unit all became far more important, of course, because Paul Manning left just, it was about 10 months before the games. Um, yeah, and so I guess now I'm looking at it about uh, an Omnium project of how can I how can I use his skill set to bolster what I can do in the Omnium and, and how do I, uh, like, how do I build, uh, whether it's a lifestyle or, or a, a training lifestyle around that with his help that, that helps you be the best that you can be but I, I, I definitely think there's something you can do if you go in with I want to achieve something rather than I have a problem that I want to get rid of just that one thing about porridge it depends who's making it just make sure it's decent porridge because Luke Rowe made me porridge this morning it was like cement <laughs> and I would not be able to eat that again but there's so many ways you can go wrong aren't there with porridge you can burn it don't stir it enough oh. Too much milk, not enough milk, bad oats, dusty oats rather than proper oats. Yeah, you need fat rolled oats, don't you? Big time. Soaked overnight. So what about 2022 then, Katie? What, what's, what's your big goals for this year? You know, I think these are going to be the biggest four years of my career from 21 through to 24 because we, go, we went the 21 Tokyo Olympics, 22 Birmingham Commonwealth Games, 23 is the Glasgow Multidiscipline World Championships. There's 13 different cycling disciplines all having their world championships in Glasgow. Buy your tickets. I, d- I don't know why I'm I'm not a promoter. I'm just <laughs> I'm just a cyclist <laughs> from Glasgow. Is very happy about it. Um, and then of, of course the 2024 Paris Olympics. So through 22, I I really want to just test myself and and kind of what I hinted at earlier of maybe try and find some of the mistakes, make some of the errors that that I can learn from. Um, because when we go through 23 and 24, um, it's another two big summer goals like the the world championships will be in august in 23 and that's when the olympics will be in 24 and so to to try and um find some finesse into how how i approach um 
the the challenge of team pursuit madison and omnium that's that's kind of like that's my ultimate my ultimate dream um i competed in the team pursuit in the 2016 olympics team pursuit in madison in the 21 olympics and i'm hoping that i'll be robust enough strong enough um a, a contender for the omnium the madison and, and the team pursuit in paris and yeah maybe i'm being too too british cycling about it that um you asked me about my goals for this year and and they're all about <laughs> they're all about three years from now but that's kind of um that's that's <laughs> the way it goes well katie it's been fabulous having you on the gtcc uh you're a guest that we've wanted for a while so thank you so much for coming on and congratulations on what was by anyone's standards an unbelievable year thank you very much yeah i just want to say thanks as well thanks well done and good luck I hope maybe see you at the, maybe see you in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, we've been to two Olympics together, but we never met. So, um, yeah, maybe. Well, I, I think that <laughs> says I probably won't see you in Birmingham, but maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, cheers! Thanks for coming on. Right, Tom. It's time to get your Zwift update. At the start of the series, I set you and Lou the task of improving your FTP, otherwise known as your fitness, on Zwift. So let's find out how Lou got on over the holidays. So I didn't have COVID over Christmas like Yuji, but I did have a few weeks off the bike due to illness. So I was delighted to get back on it this Sunday and do the Doddy Aid 50k social ride with the likes of Sir Chris Hoy. Now, I didn't manage to stay and keep pace with Chris Hoy, but I did get on the wheel of Louise Minchin, who very kindly dragged me around the entire 50k, and I was so proud to finish it. It was a nice, steady pace. My legs were very sore the next day, but it was the perfect way to get back on the bike and the perfect start to the new year. And if you fancy joining me, Tom, and producer Lou on Zwift, just go to Zwift.com and start your free trial today. We'll see you there. Chairman Tom, I hear you've got some news. I've got great news, Geraint. We've got another sponsor on board. It is Lacquer Insurance. And I hear we've got a very exciting offer for our members too. But first, let's tell our listeners a bit about Lacquer. Yeah, well, Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists, just like our GTCC members listening to this. Lacquer's bicycle insurance is made for everyone, from Grand Tour winners like you to riders hitting the pedals for the first time, like our club secretary, Louise. Lacquer turned the existing insurance model on its head. Right, instead of projecting what costs it may need to cover and charging inflated prices, Lacquer only charges you based on the cost of actual claims that have been taken out that month. And your monthly price is capped too. Lacquer make money by receiving a small fee from every claim they settle, meaning for every settled claim, Lacquer gets paid. The more claims they settle, the more they earn. It's insurance geared towards helping cyclists get back in the saddle. And when it comes to making a claim, it is handled by their team of cycling experts and usually agreed within a day, with no depreciation and no excess. And the best bit, Tom, is all our GTCC members can get an exclusive Geraint Thomas Cycling Club sweatshirt when they join Lacquer. Just head over to www.lacquer.co and sign up using the code GTCC. Enjoy! Time now for any other business. What have you got for us today, Tom? 
Decent list today, G. Uh, first up is a shout out to Lee Lester and his club, the Overseal Cycling Club. Lee says, in the summer, I rode to a cafe in Matlock, Derbyshire, called Fuel Cafe, and a lady there claimed it was a regular place for Dave Brailsford. Have either of you been before? Well, Lee, I haven't, but Matlock is not a million miles away from where I live, so I might stick it on the list. Um, G, have you ever been there, Fuel Cafe? No, can't say I have. I'm not too sure about the whole Dave Brailsford thing as well. And I'm not saying this lady woman is lying, but, you know, um, he might well be there, but he's hardly in the country anymore, is he? But um, how far is it from your place? Matlock, I mean, it's a hilly one. It's probably a hilly 50 miles. Oh, there we go. So it might, might be a summer one. We can do that <laughs> at some point. A few fire beers right there. Perfect. We'll stick it on the list. Our next shout-out goes to Sarah Hawkins, who is a regular on the GTCC club rides on Zwift. She says that even riding at three watts per kilo, on average for the whole hour, she says, I'm still overtaken by hordes of others. It's faster than I thought, but it's great fun. A good playlist keeps me going, and if rock is your thing, why not check out a playlist I made for you on Spotify? Oh, thanks, Sarah. It's called 25-Minute Warm-Up. It includes the likes of Nickelback, Queen and The Cult. Sarah says she creates a lot of playlists. Any requests for a G? Could she make a GTCC special? Yeah, I think so. I'm happy for a bit of variety, though, you know, a bit of rock, a bit of rap, a bit of pop, a bit of, um, what's her name? Um, Grande? Ar- Ariana Grande? <laughs> bit of Grande? Yeah, stick some Grande in. <laughs> We've also had a couple of questions for you, G. Um, the first of which is... It's quite a nosy one, actually. What's your FTP when you're coming back from injury compared to when you're at your peak? For our jeepers, um, depends what injury and how long you've been off and everything. But to be honest, I wouldn't go straight in and do any sort of big effort like that anyway. So I'd probably, knowing that it would be bad, I'd probably wait at least a month or two till I've got some decent fitness back as well. So... Um, I'd say from the off season, if I was to do it in November compared to like the tour, it would be close to 100 watts probably. And what's what's your FTP at your peak? Uh, well, I've never actually done an FTP test, but for say a 20 minute, half hour climb, it'd be around 430 watts. Bloody hell. So yeah, and then in the off season coming back, if I was to do 20 minute, it'd be like Actually, no, if I went full gas, maybe, I don't know, high 300, so 50-odd watts, 40-odd watts. It's quite a lot, really, though, isn't it? 10%. It is, really. Okay, that was a good question. The next question is, what aspirations do you have for 2022? And I'm going to take this to mean personal aspirations rather than global ones, although if you've got any great hopes for the world this year, please share. (laughs) Uh, No, I'll leave the whole world thing. Um, Just for me, I don't know, just enjoy racing my bike. Try and win some races. Yeah, I'd like to do the tour again. Ardennes. Ardennes are on the list. But it's just nice. been, at the moment, it's just focused on trying to get fit again. Obviously, my off-season was affected with my shoulder. Then I bloody caught the cron, the Omicron, over Christmas. So that knocked me back a bit as well. But all good now and guns blazing and just get back racing. Okay, should we end this episode by appointing a few more road captains? If you're new to this, the GTCC is no longer just a virtual club. We're appointing road captains to organise meetups and in-person rides all around the globe. Go and join the GTCC group on Facebook to see if there's one in your local area. G, who is our first one up today? So from Guernsey, we have Mark Smith. 
Well played, Mark. For Georgia, USA, it is Ben Bryant. For Perth, Australia, it's Colin Price. And finally, we've already got a road captain for Worcestershire, which is Paul Fenton. But Paul, if you'd like an assistant, Nick Broffle is also in your area and has put his hand up too. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Everyone's going to be going to Worcestershire with uh, Mr. Broffle, aren't they? Cheers, see you there. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Club Secretary Louise Gwilliam, Head of Music Emma Hickman, Head of Social Fionn Clark and our Honorary President Mike Carr. Most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.